0: Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, a weekly news podcast made possible by members of the local. We're recording this episode on Wednesday, the 17th of May, a little earlier than usual because of the public holiday on Thursday. And today, as the weather gets warmer across Sweden, we'll start with some tips for weekend getaways. We'll also talk about Sweden's plans for a new work permit system for high skilled labour, We'll round up some of the main stories about the Swedish economy in a week when we learned that food prices have finally started to drop. We'll look at the results of a new study showing worsening reading proficiency among schoolchildren in Sweden. And we'll stay with schools for our main topic today as we ask the question that a lot of foreigners in Sweden find themselves wondering as they put down roots here, namely, do Swedish schools give your children a good education? I'm your host, Paul O'Mahony, and I'm all alone today in the Stockholm studio, but we have a full house in Malmö. Sitting behind the mics there, we have the locals, Emma Lovegrain, Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. And we're also joined by a guest, Emma Lensa, a reporter for the Svenskan newspaper, who specialises in schools and education. And I should also mention that Richard's dog is in place. So there's uh, effectively five beings in the studio there. Uh, Emma, welcome to the podcast and before we go any further can you please just tell listeners a little bit about yourself
2: Thank you I have worked at Südsvenskan for a very long time and uh, for the last 15 years I've been writing about schools and education I've also written a few books on the subject so um, I'm really into that Swedish schools (laughs) 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 uh, that we're going to be talking about it feels cool. like we have the right person on for this podcast
0: definitely and you've covered different aspects of the school system in your books as well so uh yeah we'll get back to all of that later thanks very much emma and how are the rest of you
3: good good yeah. good swedish well. summer is yeah. now over in malmo we had about a week of lovely weather and now it's cold again so um, i'm <laughs> sad yeah but, um, it's gone it's a bit nice. was, that week was nice
4: it was fantastic i swam in our lake for the first time this year and it was okay actually
5: I've just been on holiday, so I'm happy to be back. I've been away from the podcast for several weeks
0: now. Welcome back, Emma. You have been away for a long time now. Yeah, it's got a bit colder up here as well today. But if meteorologists are to be believed, summer has officially arrived in much of the southern half of Sweden. And it is going to get warmer again in the next few days and, and next week. And the rest of the country isn't far behind. I think summer is coming to northern Sweden soon too. Uh, I saw that we had an article on the site with some really excellent recommendations for weekend getaways, and we'll link to that in the notes. And we also asked readers uh, for tips on social media this week. And some of the ones that really stood out for me were walking the trails in Ora up in Jämtland or taking the Inlands-Bånan railway line, the 1,200-odd kilometres from Kristina Hamn in the south to Jalivåre in the north. And someone also mentioned Haga Kusten, which is the spectacular UNESCO heritage site on the Western Norland coast, in the sort of northeast of Sweden, where, interestingly, the biggest town in the area, Arnkelsvik or Örnköldsvik if you're pronouncing it from northern Sweden, this week expressed an interest in Hosting next year's Eurovision Song Contest after Loreen's victory in Liverpool last weekend, one of our colleagues in France incidentally looked at the spelling of Ermkeviken and said, "And I quote: Is Sweden messing with the rest of Europe by trying to make us pronounce this clearly made-up town?"
3: Um, I told wow. her she can just call it Eagle Shields Wick <laughs> uh.
0: That is a very literal translation. Yeah, perfect. Yes. <laughs> Uh, what about you all do you have any other places you recommend to to listeners looking to discover Sweden Richard
4: um well the, the place I discovered this summer is the uh, archipelago around bleaking because I've been in the archipelago around Stockholm I've never been around Gothenburg mm. but but it was we, we just went sailing there and I was just it's it's just a lot quieter less busy than the Stockholm archipelago and the islands are kind of they're much more um' Verdant. I don't know what would be the word. They're, they're, Green? they're, they're, they're greener and more sort of luscious vegetation, mm. but they're very flat, and um, it's just a really uh, lovely landscape. And you you can like go between all the different islands and find sort of tiny little settlements. And and that whole bit of the coast up uh, uh, Blekinge is a, is is one of my favourite bits of Sweden because it's still got a bit of that Danish heritage, and play, and you've got cities like uh, Solvæsböre, which have got mm. you know quite old buildings and cobbled streets and stuff like that. And it's just it's, it's just a very charming part of Sweden, I think. Going right up to Kalmar, actually, that whole coast, I think, yeah. is really really special. How
0: about you, Becky?
3: I mean, I haven't really travelled that much in Sweden at all. And I also am <laughs> married to a Skorning who, when we go to Gothenburg or Stockholm or something, he says, oh, let's go to Sweden this weekend. <laughs> so, I mean, by that, by that kind of measure, I really haven't been to Sweden. I've basically only been in Skorna. But, I mean, he's, his parents are from, or well, his mum lives in Skornau which is really nice. And the, the best my best kind of tip for Skånar which is kind of like summer house country, is where all the rich Stockholmers have their summer houses. I think they just sold uh, the Skånar's most expensive house, just sold there for like 47 million kroner as a summer house. He was like, oh, I'll be there a few weeks of a year, maybe. But uh, that's really nice. But my biggest tip is that uh, it's nice to actually not be there in the height of summer, especially if you're getting the bus down or you're driving down because right. just the traffic gets completely overwhelming so try and go there like early summer or late summer when you know the the water's still warm but there's not that many people there that's my big tip
5: great well i'm also from southern sweden but i really like northern sweden in the summer I think a lot of listeners probably associate northern Sweden with like winter and snow and uh, skiing and stuff but it's lovely in the summer and um, I mean I'm sorry for using the like northern Sweden very vaguely there but you can really go anywhere there and it's it, it'll be really lovely. I tend to go to a small town called Vålerim which is uh, located in a pretty good place if you have a car and you want to explore the area. And if you want to head even further north, Kiruna, Sweden's northernmost city, will have the midnight
0: sun from next week. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very mm. good tip there. How about um, Suedsvenskan, Emma?
2: I, I think the tips have been very, very, very good. I, I've been uh, trailing, uh, hiking at Högakustan, and uh, it's lovely, although it's very rocky. I must. I'll warn you for that. I've spent a lot of time in Ore. I love it. Mm. Also during the summer. It's a great nature there. But my tip, if I was to add something, that if, if you want to see real folklore, Swedish folklore, I would go to Dalarna in the summer and go folk dancing. That's quite an experience. Good tip. Is that like around midsummer? Well, or it's, the it's basically, they have one special week where they have a lot of music uh, and it's, it's in July. But basically, it's a very, very much different music mm. arrangements during the summer. Mm. That sounds interesting.
0: Maybe we should take the podcast on the road and sort of bond around folk dancing in Dál i do reckon? Great. Thanks, everybody, for those tips. Uh, I'm going to start booking train tickets now that the strike we were worrying about last week has been averted. Lots of great places to go. But let's get on to the news now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the head of the migration agency, Mikael Ribbenvik, told us he was working on a new plan to speed up work permit processing. And this week, we had the big reveal. What can you tell us about this, Richard?
4: Well, it's pretty much what he told us and what we reported on, which is that they're going to scrap this certified system, which meant that big companies and people like Volvo and Ericsson could like sign up, and then they got a kind of accelerated route and they could get people through in, I think it was 10 days they were supposed to process work permits. But in reality, it was more than a month. So they weren't able to keep to it. And I think that's one of the reasons they're getting rid of it, because um, Mikhail Rubinvich was very clear that this had had failed. The system had failed. He said, you know, we got 140,000 work permit cases in 2022, and 40% of them went through the certified route. And 20% of them were in the so-called, you know, uh, high-risk industries where the migration agency has historically had a a high level of abuse. So, restaurants and building industry where, you know, lots of people are brought in under false pretenses and not paid what they're supposed to be paid, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, so what he announced last week was that they were going to set up these things called International Recruitment Units. And service teams; these teams would serve primarily highly educated labour migrants. So they're breaking up. Sweden's been quite unusual in in that it sort of treats all work people coming for work permits as one group. So they're breaking it up into the sort of high end. People and that would include people, anyone with a whose job requires a university education, but mm. also you know anyone who's a in a leadership role and so on. And that would be category A, and then everyone else would be category B, C, and D. And the category A people are the ones that are going to get all this focus. So they're going to get international recruitment teams. They're going to get service teams, and that means companies will no longer need to go through agents like Ernst and Young because the migration agency itself will have people helping them in-house, okay. which they haven't really had before. So they want to make it easier for companies to bring in high-end labour so they can just bring up the migration agency and get handheld through the process. And then everyone else in the other categories, B, C and D, there was not a lot of detail into what the system would be for right. them. And I think it will basically be what already exists will continue for them. So okay. it, it will be the same organisation as it already has but Mikhail Rybnovik did say that particularly in Category C, which is basically everyone who isn't a high-end labour migrant but isn't covered by any special rules, they will also get extra help. Because he said you know, some of the big projects that are in the north of Sweden, like building this massive steel, uh, green steel plants and stuff, they don't just need highly skilled labour and graduates, they also need steel workers, and they can't get them all in Sweden. So he said that even though these people won't have the international recruitment units, and they won't have this guarantee of 30 days to have their permits processed, they will still get special attention from okay. the migration agency. That's the idea. Yeah. So that's uh, that's it, more or less.
0: Okay, great. And uh, when do we expect this to come into force?
4: They said that they would come back with more detail on September the 4th. And then Mika Rimvik said he hoped it would come into force by the end of the year. And obviously, he won't be in place when that happens, even though, as he told us a few weeks ago, this is his baby. This is Mm. his kind of final big project.
0: Okay, great. Thanks for that roundup. And we'll make sure to put our stories on this subject in the show notes. Let's talk about the economy now. After months of doom and gloom, we finally had some good news this week, as we learned that food prices in Sweden last month dropped for the first time since November 2021. Becky, can you give us some context on this? What's happening in the Swedish economy and how are things looking going forward?
3: Yeah. I'll get on to food prices shortly, but Mm. first let's look at inflation because that says quite a lot. So consumer price index inflation, which is also known as CPI inflation, which is essentially the price increase on like a representative sample or basket of goods and services consumed in Sweden. That fell more than expected, according Mm. to statistics Sweden. So it fell year on year, it dropped to 10.5% in April, and that had been expected to stay the same as in March, which was 10.6%. So, okay, 0.1%, that probably doesn't sound like a lot. But CPIF inflation, which is the same as CPI inflation without interest rates, uh, so it moves interest rates from the equation, mm. was also lower than expected. So right. that was 7.6% in April compared with 8% in March. Again, that was expected to say the same as in March. And then if you then take energy prices away from the equation again, so you've got CPI inflation without energy prices, without interest rates, that's underlying inflation, that was also lower than expected fell to 8.4% mm. in april compared with 8.9% in march um and then the average prediction for that was was 8.7% right. so all of these are falling for the second month in a row and then, as you mentioned, food prices also went down in April, so they were 1.2% lower than in March, which is the first time that food prices have actually gone down since November 2021, although year-on-year inflation is still higher, over 17% for food prices. Yeah. So that's all the facts and figures. But the reason this is all interesting is that it could be a sign that Sweden has reached the peak of inflation. The high interest rates we're seeing at the moment are due to the central bank raising key interest rates in order to rein in inflation. So low inflation figures then mean that the bank's measures are working and that further rate hikes are less likely, right. essentially. Um, and then we've obviously got the next key interest rate announcement, which is due at the end of June. We've got another set of inflation figures due before that in mid-June. So I guess those will play quite a big role in whether the Dix bank decides to go for a further key interest rate hike or not, or maybe not hike key interest rates in June, but maybe hike them again in September. So it, it, kind of, it, it might be kind of a light at the end of a tunnel, but we don't really know yet. We have to wait a few months to see.
0: But yeah, as you say, next announcement coming up at the end of June, so we don't have uh, too long to wait for that. It'll be very interesting to see what happens. Thanks for bringing us up to date, Becky, and we'll link to our stories on this in the notes.
6: Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more
1: what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist
0: Now, in a few minutes, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of the Swedish school system. But first, we'll talk about the news this week that Swedish fourth grade pupils, so 10 and 11 year olds, are getting worse at reading. What can you tell us about this uh, study, Emma? Sorry, I'll say Emma Lovegren <laughs> <laughs> So um,
5: this was the Pearl's study, which is one of the big uh, international education studies. And it compared reading comprehension in 65 EU and OECD countries. And the study was carried out in 2021. So during the pandemic, but the results were only released this week. And they show that Swedish pupils scored a total of uh, 544 points which was down from 555 points in 2016. I guess it's crucial to note that Sweden is still doing generally okay. Like they scored higher than the average and they scored higher than the rest of the Nordics even. But there was this big drop, which is concerning. The pandemic might be a factor behind this and because we can see the same kind of trend in other countries that they also had a drop in reading skills. Sweden was not the only one. And I mean, even though Sweden's nationwide policy was to keep schools open during the pandemic, which was, it was famous or infamous for, depending on who you ask, a lot of schools had to close anyway. Yeah. So education was affected. But it's not just the pandemic. This seems to be a systemic fault. And what's even more concerning, perhaps, is that the gap between students that are performing badly and those students that are performing well is growing. So students from like socioeconomically well-off homes, they actually had pretty much the same result as in 2016. But the number of students that come from more vulnerable backgrounds is growing and their reading skills are getting worse. So the Swedish National Agency for Education came out and said that it was really, really concerned about the segregated school system and inequality between schools. So I guess the question now for everyone is like, how do we fix this?
0: Yeah, really interesting. Do you want to come in there a little bit, Emma Lainz? I'm sure you were busy reporting on this yesterday.
2: When it comes to segregation, that is clearly seen in this last figures. Yeah. In pearls, if you looked at the figures, you could see that Swedish-speaking students, they actually do, they read just as well as as five years ago. Yeah. But the group that the Swedish school have uh, where it's gone bad, it is the group of migrants uh, children. And as you know, Sweden has had the last few years, a lot of them. It has grown very fast. And you can see that in the results of pearls. So you can see that the Swedish school actually managed very well to keep the reading skills up among the Swedish students, but with All the others, they have fallen behind. And that is, of course, a problem.
0: And this is uh, the focus of your your last book, isn't it? School segregation. So I think we'll come back to this in a a few minutes and we can talk a little bit more about the, the root causes of this and what can be done about it. For anyone who'd like to find out more about the PEARLS study, we have an article on that in the notes. But now we're going to look more broadly at the Swedish school system with the help of our guest, Emma Leinze. And for many of those of us who have moved here from other countries, there's honestly a lot we don't know about how it all works. I've been here a long time now. I've got children of my own and I feel like I'm finally starting to figure it out. But it's it's a bit of a mystery to a lot of us, I think. So let's um, start with the fundamentals. What would you say, Emma, are the most important things for parents to know about the Swedish school system?
2: That was a difficult question. I know. Yeah, well, let's start with a hard one.
0: Nobody said it was going to be easy.
2: I could I could tell you about the, the features of the Swedish school system that makes it unique yeah. in the world and are kind of a ground for how many things uh, turn out. I mean, we have a school choice system in Sweden. We also have private schools. A lot of countries do. Yeah. But we also have a, a rule saying that private schools or free schools, as we call them, are they have to be paid by 100% of tax money. Yeah. That is, no one is going to pay for their children to go to school. Yeah. There are a few, few exceptions, but yeah, that's not relevant in the big no. picture. And the funding system is made up so that the money follows the individual student. When a pupil changes school, the whole sum The whole cost for the one single pupil follows the pupil or the the student. Those things together make it a very unique uh, situation in Sweden because, oh, also I would say that you also have um, uh, school owners who can make a profit from running schools. So this together makes it unique. Mm. It's not like you, you do have private schools and you do have tax funded private schools in in other countries but you don't mix this with the possibility to make a profit out of running a school this affects not only private schools but also all kind of uh, public education because this funding system applies to all schools and it means you have you have a system of uh, where schools compete about students and giving, could you say, advantages to those who take shortcuts in the education of children, who actually are good at making a cheaper education, which in many ways is not very good for the quality. And this affects all schools, of course, also the the public education system, because this funding system that makes the money go with the single student. So this basic system is an explanation to a lot of the other things that we will talk about here. It is present in a lot of uh, different features when you talk about schools, Swedish schools.
0: Yeah, and I think we'll get back to how this unique system affects all these other issues in, in a couple of minutes. But before we get into some of the problems with the with the Swedish school system, can you give us an idea of how Sweden scores in the best known international comparison the program for international student assessment or PISA?
2: Well, Sweden uh, we have quite of a roller coaster ride there. It went down from the, the year 2000 when the first test was conducted until 2012 and then it has gone up again. So we are about around on the same level as if we were uh, 20 years ago and that level is above average in the OECD. Not at the top, but above average.
4: So why did Sweden drop so dramatically over oh, between 20, 2000 and 2012? What, what, what are the reasons behind that, do people think?
2: During the 90s, we went from a state uh, school to municipalities that had their own responsibility for schools it's a very deregulated system a decentralized system uh, and also deregulated actually because it also went from this is how you're going to do to make, to run a school those are the rules that you have to follow from that uh, to a system where it said it doesn't matter how you do it as long as you do well as long as the students score well it's fine how they got there so it resulted in fewer uh, educated teachers for example now that is what you saw during the last the f- the first years during the 2000s that's the drop and after that after 2010 a lot of those things have been reregulated you have to have educated teachers for example that mm-hmm. teach in there they they have to be education in, in the in the subject that they teach and that is basically i think the explanation for the for the rise in the scores again
3: but isn't there also an issue with because when i've been looking at schools i, I think all of us here have kids um so when, when i've been looking at schools they always show you how many Lara there are mm. in a school so is there still issues with teachers teaching that aren't qualified teachers
2: yeah oh yeah somewhere like 70 percent of uh, the teachers are qualified mm. for the subject they're teaching. The rest are not.
4: How did they re-regulate the 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 qualifications of teachers?
2: They they just made a, a certification for this is this is a qualified teacher. So she or he is qualified to teach in this subject and in this subject and in this subject. They just they didn't have that before. So they said that you can't hire a teacher for a permanent job if they are not educated you could do that before before you could do that so but the last 15 years it hasn't been possible to do to do that
4: and what and what other changes what other reforms have they made to help the country climb back up their pisa rankings what else would you say has so that they've regulated was there anything else that, that the governments have done to improve Sweden's scores
2: i think also they have they've had a few very Good teacher training programs for educated teachers in how to te- how to teach uh, students to in mathematics, for example, how to do that in a good way. They've had quite a few in in reading, uh, in the Swedish language, mathematics, basically. That teachers have been they have been very very uh, happy with those. Educations, and uh, I think it has turned out well. Also, yeah.
4: mm. I mean, one of the things that we did a survey last year about what foreign, how foreigners experience Swedish schools, and the thing that a lot of people said, and that I have really found difficult, is that not only does it start a year late, but the first year. Nothing happens. I mean, the, the zero class, they're like drawing pictures of rhinoceroses in the shape of R's and stuff like that. They're not learning anything at all, really. They're learning how to sit in class, how to. And, and I think for foreigners, you, you just think, well, why aren't they learning? You know, I was learning Latin by then, you know, or something in my school. <laughs> you know, not that that's not that it did me much good, but why Why does it start so slow? And, and does that have an impact on the schools?
2: Well, I think if you look at. Actually, those international tests and how Sweden is doing, you could say that they do learn something in school, more than in most schools in most countries. So um, I think Sweden has for a long time been, maybe um, had a different kind of pedagogy for younger children, especially, than most countries do. That when you say they don't learn anything, they're just playing, we say in Swedish schools, well... Playing is learning. I mean preschool used to be called (laughs) Lake Scholar.
4: Yeah. I mean I mean this is the thing, is that the thing that the thing I've been thinking about this and the things that I miss that they don't do is like learning their times tables, you know, drilling times tables, learning capital cities, learning these kind of Basic thing of facts, but but maybe that's for the good because maybe they have a more positive uh, attitude to school because they're not being forced to recite times tables all the time. I remember, <laughs> I remember in school, Latin. I remember in school the teacher
3: pointing out individual students, and you had to stand up, and she'd be like, "What's the capital of Kenya?" Exactly,
4: <laughs> that, that's what I missed and I still yeah.
3: remember what the capital of Kenya <laughs> exactly, is, but I don't exactly. know if if that you know I don't know if that was a good thing.
5: I went to Swedish schools. I just became a journalist.
3: <laughs> I mean, Emma can read, so
5: she
4: can read. But she does have these. What, what are they call Kunzgups? Look, look, look some holes in her in
0: her knowledge.
3: Well, how's your how's your Latin? How are your Latin skills, Emma?
0: When readers get in touch, a lot of them have the impression that municipal schools, in particular, are a bit slow. And a, a lot of them say that they move their children to independent free schools and. Uh, well, a lot of people have told us that they, they think that that those are that their children um, learn more there. Mm. Do you see any difference? Exactly. Do you see any difference between the independent schools and the municipal schools in terms of rankings?
2: Oh, there is quite a few differences. The the independent schools they do have uh, more well educated parents uh, or children to more educated parents. They also have, uh, if you compare with municipality schools, they have a lot fewer educated teachers for example they have fewer teachers in the, the home, independent schools in the too yeah yeah they have fewer teachers they have less libraries they have uh, don't have as many facilities when it comes to for example making experiments they have smaller schoolyards they have a lot of things that maybe you would also miss as a parent or and as a child but because because of This, we've talking about segregation before, Mm. because of this better educated parents that more often choose independent schools for their children, they often turn out better when it comes to results, school results. It also turns out that they more often actually give um, grades that are higher than the students actually deserve to have because when when they come up to higher education they can see that more students from from independent schools they cannot pursue higher education studies more of them fall out of the system do they learn more i don't know yeah, i couldn't say that no. we did a series mm.
4: of articles on international english school international english school and uh, last mm. year and which has done and in our survey of parents they got quite a lot of good marks from the parents. Parents saying, yeah, I moved my kids to International English School and they're doing much better now. But then we spoke to all the you know, the, the Canadians and Australian teachers who are teaching at International English School and they were all saying it's... I mean, they got we got so many people contact... I still get emails now from people who've taught at International English School and complaining about the awful things they say happen there. And of course, every staff room has their complaints in every school, but it just seems that we still get emails a year later from people who teach there saying this this is terrible yeah and and so i'm not sure that the, the i think that the school does a really good job of marketing to parents that in our schools uh we have discipline and we have a higher pace of learning but actually what you get is 22 year old Newly graduated teachers straight Maybe from, not straight, even straight, newly from graduated. straight from university in Canada or, or or Ireland, which might be good. You know, they've got, probably got a lot of enthusiasm, but they don't have very much experience. Mm.
2: Um. And if you ask the students uh, at International Engelska mm. Skolan, do you have a good discipline in the classroom? They they answer they do, we do ask people mm-hmm. uh, we we do ask students that questions and from the results shows that there is no difference actually between the municipality school and Internationella Engelska Skolan when you ask the pupils. So who knows? Mm. I mean, it's when it comes to choosing a school, I think parents also have a picture of this is how it was in my school and this is how I would like it to be. And I would like my child to work hard and my child is very gifted and uh, it should be in another environment my child uh, would uh, be better off and so on and i would say yeah it's it's a good thing for a parent to make to try to make it the best for their children of course but when it comes to going to school it's hard to know what is the best is it better to make them work hard when they're four years old, or is it better to let them play for a few more years? When it comes to making a system that makes as many pupils as possible to fit in, it, it's hard to take that individuality into consideration then, but you have to make a system that works for the group. Mm-hmm. And as again, what we can see that the Swedish school system compared to other school systems seems to work quite well
4: I mean uh, my kids municipal school I mean one thing that I think works I mean I go and meet my friends in the UK who all have kids about the same age and they have the UK system is extremely pressured lots of pressure on kids to pass tests and do everything my friends are saying oh we wish we didn't have this pressure I wish it was much more relaxed like a well you know that's that's what we have we have the relaxed system you know there's no marks until how old are they when they first get
2: Oh, they graded. are They are in sixth grade, so yeah. they're 12 years old when they get the first marks.
4: Yeah, mm. but, but if I look at the school, my, my kids' school, which is a municipal school, it is very, um, it's a lot of emphasis on the sort of, um, the atmosphere in the classroom. And I think they, they do do a good job in that, in the, k- k- making this kind of safe atmosphere to learn in. I think that's something that they seem to do really well. I mean,
3: when you think about kind of big societal issues, societal issues like anxiety and mental health issues in children younger and younger and younger maybe it's a good thing that Sweden is holding off the pressure for a few more years maybe you don't need to be stressed about grades when you're 10 maybe you can just learn for the sake of learning learn for the enjoyment of learning and mm-hmm. then
2: yeah,
3: yeah
0: a, absolutely.
3: wait a few more years until you have to start getting stressed out about it's always interesting to hear
2: people from other countries talking about Swedish schools but because this uh, discussion of pressure and stress and so on we do have that in the Swedish school as well, where many people say, Oh, they are so pressed these days. They are so stressed. They give grades too early.
0: (laughs) Uh, We're gonna wrap it up there for today, but you will be able to hear more from our guest in a bonus episode that we'll put out during the week. A big thank you to Emma Leintse for joining us on the podcast. Our panelists today were Becky Waterton, Richard Orange, and Emma Lovegrain. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul O'Mahony. And thank you to all our members for supporting us. And if you're not yet a member, but you'd like to join, you can find a link to our offers in the notes. Until next time, take care.
6: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with quins.